The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Dr. Syed Ali Taufik Al-Atas. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a great pleasure for me to be here. Assalamu alaikum. It's uh, great to have you here. Dr. Syed is the eldest son of the internationally famous Malaysian Muslim philosopher, uh, Professor Syed Mohammed Nakib Al-Atas. And I am the proud owner of just two of his father's many works. Um, this is the one I'm currently reading, Islam and Secularism. Um, actually, it is surprisingly good. It's surprising because, you know, this is a subject that's been written a lot about, but actually it's very, very insight, very learned, a very uh, close acquaintance with Western uh, intellectual thought and the Islamic, uh, and the Islamic tradition, obviously. Yes. And the other book, which is uh, even better, if I can put it that way, is a prolegomena to the metaphysics of Islam, an exposition of the fundamental elements of the worldview of Islam. And the title, Prolegomena, it just reminded me of Kant. Immanuel Kant uh, also had that. Uh, name on one of his works. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but these are these two works are outstanding um, books, which I highly recommend if you can get your hands on them. Uh, yes. yes. Um, back to you, sir. Dr. Syed is a uh, former director general of the uh, Institute of Islamic Understanding Malaysia, a Kuala Lumpur-based think tank, and he subsequently worked in the corporate sector. His PhD from the International Institute of Islamic Thought and Civilization. He's published several academic works and has written many articles and delivered uh, lectures on a wide uh, range of subjects at various venues uh, locally and internationally. Today, Dr. Syed has kindly uh, offered to talk about a subject which I think is very close to your heart, sir, the, the root cause of the crisis in the Muslim world, which you have diagnosed as the corruption of knowledge, the corruption of knowledge. So yeah. could you explain to us the root of this problem and, and and what's the way forward, do you think? Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Well, first, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about those two books you mentioned just now by my father. Yes. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people classify him as the Muslim philosopher, but in reality, he's not just a Muslim philosopher. No. He is also a theologian. He is also a Sufi master. He is also many, many things. He's a linguist. He is a poet, and therefore to 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 uh, to buttonhole him into one category is a little bit, uh, what do you call it, Unfair. misleading yeah. perhaps. Leading. Yes, indeed. But those two books that you mentioned just now, in fact, the first one that you mentioned, the Islam and Secularism. Mm. My father, my father published that in 1976. Mm. In fact, this was following a lecture that he gave much earlier in the mm. in, this, in the early 70s. Um, Talking about Islam, secularism, and uh, what was the other one? And the, and the uh, Islam, secularism, and uh, I can't remember the name of the exact title of the lecture, but that's what led to this book, Islam and Secularism. Right. And in that book itself, I think my father does allude to the fact that the corruption of knowledge is what is plaguing the Muslims, uh, in particular at this time, more than at any other time, perhaps. But I mean, this is not something that is that is uh, particular to this period alone. I mean, we've heard of Muslim theologians of the past, Juwaini, for instance, as Ghazali's teacher. Yes. I mean, he was a probably one of the few, or rather one of the many, who classified the man or, or people into four kinds. And um, it's that category of classification that Juwaini did, perhaps, that we can allude to the fact that this is also... Um, warning about the corruption of knowledge but today more than any other time in the muslim world this corruption of knowledge has become so pervasive 
And mm. it's precisely because of what my father writes in that Islamic secularism. Firstly, that there is a widespread um, ignorance, widespread ignorance. And this ignorance has led to injustice, mm. has led to lots of injustice. And this injustice has led to confusion amongst the Muslims. And then that confusion gives rise to the, to the, to the false leadership. And this false leadership therefore continues adding to the confusion, adding to the problems, adding mm -hmm. to the ignorance, and gives rise to more false leadership. And that vicious circle doesn't seem to end. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are facing now. I mean, this book written in 1976 was a warning to the Muslims at that time that they, mm -hmm. they should be warned about what they're doing, what their emphasis is, and how to overcome it. And in fact, my father did give the, the solutions to these problems. He identified what the problems were and gave solutions. And the, the primary solution, obviously, was education, a proper Islamic education. But because the people who were, who were entrusted with this uh, wisdom, they are not prepared to accept it or they are not prepared to understand it, and therefore they ultimately end up corrupting what he says and putting it in their own, in their own framework. And what, what arises is this this so-called Islamic education system, which is actually a corruption of the Islamic worldview, actually, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my, in my view, I think that the emphasis, that the, the, the immense emphasis on, on the legal system or the, or the judiciary or the right. law right. Is, is, is really, I mean, it's really deviating from the real problems because you can't legislate everything, but they think that you can. Right. And, and this is the thing. I mean, this, this kind of legalistic education is not something which is difficult. That's another thing. It's not a difficult subject. And why the Muslims are not interested to do difficult subjects is, an, is beyond me. Because, I mean, this is something that we need to do. I mean, you yourself, probably, Paul, you can feel the stupidity today. Isn't it? I mean, well, I'm, I'm very aware of the stupidity, uh, particularly uh, from myself. Actually, I'm constantly uh, amazed at my own stupidity. But um, I, I, doubtless, maybe other people share it to a lesser extent. Yeah. Well, I don't think I share your opinion on on your on your classification of yourself. But I'm I'm saying that I mean, we now the Muslims today, we like to look on the Muslims in the past nostalgically as to how powerful we were, how much wealth we had, how big our empire was, and things like this how many scholars we had in the past, but we don't seem to learn anything from it. Mm. I mean, let alone learn anything from what the Quran is telling us. Mm. I mean, the Quran does not, does not, uh, I mean, the, the, the emphasis on the Quran primarily is on ethics. Yes. Is on, is on, uh, is on faith. Yes, it's not on law, is it? The Quran, oh, there, are, there, are, there are legal verses, this is true, but they're a small minority of the overall content itself. It, it is a very, very small minority of the, of the mm. whole of the Quran, of the entirety of the Quran. And therefore mm. today to emphasize those things as if that is what is paramount is a big uh, injustice, injustice to themselves as well as injustice to the Quran. And therefore okay, nowadays, I, I beg your pardon, sorry? I, I just want to push back. I mean, I'm not, I'm not to disagree with, not my position to disagree with you on this, but I'm just thinking some might say that um, in our post-colonial world, where most of the Muslim world was occupied and ruled by either Britain or France and a, and a few others, where, say, in France, they, they imposed their, uh, their Napoleonic legal code, say, in Egypt and other places. Britain obviously did the same in, Egypt, uh, in India. It, it, it is not some of this attempt to reinstate Islamic law understandable as a pushback against the legacy, the enduring legacy of uh, colonialist legal dominance uh, over and on the Muslim world. So it, it, is that the reason why this is, I'm not, I'm not saying you're, you're wrong, but is that perhaps a reason for the accentuation of this issue because of what's happened historically in the last century or so? Well, that, that might be some of it, but I don't think that is, that is a, that is a reasonable explanation as to why we are like we are today, right. that we are trying to reinstate this Islamic law because we were colonized. I don't think that is something that is justifiable, actually. I mean, it's not, it's not wrong. I mean, there is some truth to that as well. But mm -hmm. why, for example, why, for example, did these uh, Muslim countries decide that they were going to secularize their, their thinking? Mm -hmm. And how did they do that? They did that through the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, corruption of their language. 
right. the meanings of their language. Gosh. I mean, look at look at the North African countries now. Their their language is so Frenchified, we would say, Frank Francified, Frankified, whatever you call yeah. it. Frankified. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at look at the, the the Malay world, for instance. We have an anglicized version of Malay, and we don't realize what kind of a scientific language we have. Neither do the Arabic language speakers understand how scientific their language is, and as a result, today we find things like um, um, uh, ideologies that are foreign to our worldview seeping in. And this is what my father was trying to emphasize in that book, Islam and Secularism. He was warning yeah. about the, the secularism as a philosophical program, mm, not yeah, not, not secular not secularism as a as a you know uh, more or less to, to be a secular person. That's not mm. what he meant. He meant secularism as a philosophical program because that is the thing that affects one's thinking, one's mentality, yeah, one's I, intellect. I, I, there's one thing that impressed me about your your father's work was the profundity and depth that he goes. He's not dealing with superficialities here. He talks about the, the de-Westernization of knowledge, how this has to happen, uh, and, yes. and how um, uh, the concept of religion, uh, the foundations of ethics and morality uh, have been affected yes. at a very deep level in, in the Muslim societies. And there's a very profound uh, work, actually. And I'm particularly impressed, if, if I don't mean to patronize, but the, his, his grasp of the Western um, Christian background uh, yes. And also the secularization process, you know, its origins in the West and well, ultimately goes back to Rome and Greece. Yes. Um, a, a fascinating and profound insight into that, which I benefited from and I will reuse it in the future, inshallah. Yes, yes. That's 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 what that's uh, a very, very important work, actually. Mm. This is the thing. I mean, when he at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more visit parker.com purpose parker engineering your success say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talks about de-westernization he is again trying to emphasize that the muslims have corrupted their own language the meanings of the terms in their language mm. and this is very dangerous because already today we can i mean this is written in 1976 but mm. already today we can see that the truth of what he has said has already become manifest in 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 our world today we have corrupted the language such that the meanings have altered mm. when we talk about science when we yeah, talk yeah, about science, for instance. Right, that's great. I was looking at particular, particular examples, yeah. Okay, when we talk about science, for instance, mm -hmm. we use the term ilm instead of using the word tabi'iyat because that's really what we're talking about because when Western scholarship talks about science, they are talking about the physical, phenomenological science. Yes, absolutely. But when you say ilm, it doesn't refer only to the phenomenological. No, that's right. But we have done that. We have corrupted that meaning, and we have we have more or less conflated the two. Wow, because the scientific method in the West is materialist. I mean, it only acknowledges as real, I suppose, what can be observed and quantifiable. Exactly, it's empiricism. In a logical sense, in terms of what we can perceive, the phenomena of the universe. But ilm, yes. the, the Islamic understanding of knowledge or science, is you know, it includes the unseen. Of course, it includes exactly. those which we don't have 
phenomenological access to as human beings. So, you know, the day of judgment, angels, jinn, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's a much more holistic, metaphysical understanding of uh, science, of knowledge, than the limited uh, dunya-based materialist perspective of uh, Western science. And of course, that's not science in a neutral sense. That is uh, uh, the outcome or the product of the post-Enlightenment tradition, which yes. defines the, the methodology in a particular way. There are other ways of uh, defining science, Islamically, of course. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, when they define sciences, they are defining it according to their worldview, the Western exactly. worldview. Exactly. And when we say Western worldview, we mean the Judeo-Christian tradition, that worldview. Yes. And so when they define their sciences, we can already see that this, this uh, conflict that they have had is because they don't have uh, a foundation which has already been ascertained to be certain. Mm. Unlike the, Islam, the Muslim civilization, what we mean is this, that the Western worldview or the worldview of the West is always in a state of becoming. Yes. yes. It never actually is. Yes. Absolutely. Whereas, right. whereas for the Muslim, when we say the worldview of Islam, we are talking about a, a worldview which has already been established, which has already been firmly fixed. Yes. But but we don't seem to understand that. We have gone away from that. Again, because the greatest threat, according to my, what my father says in that book, that we are facing is that. Mm. We are facing this, this, this uh, surreptitious um, absorption of Western secular mindset, the secular philosophical system that has come into our intellectual processes. And mm -hmm. then we have become confused. And then we start thinking about what is justice? And we start debating, having long debates about what justice is. Mm. And it's ridiculous because then we, we seem to always go back to justice from the, from the legalistic point of view, from right. the point of view of the penal code. That kind of thing, you know, and, and it's ridiculous. If you hear dude punishments, then becomes a hallmark of the restoration of Islamic law. But of course, hoodoo punishments are a tiny fraction of the Sharia anyway. Let alone I mean, even even if even if it was, let's just mm -hmm. look back in history. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a time in history where the hudud was as severe as it is today? Mm -hmm. Where the hudud was applied as liberally as it is today? Yes. Where the Muslims were as puritanical as they are today? Yes. yes. I mean, you know, we have we have groups now going to Western countries to to see the Muslim communities in Western countries, and they are going over there and they are telling them, "Look, there is no such thing as madhabs. This madhab is all just a dream." Gosh, hmm. why why are they doing this? Yeah, it's very you dangerous. are adding you are adding to the confusion and the corruption of knowledge mm -hmm. because you are trying to put your own fit your own kind of system very puritanical, very, uh, uh, yeah, puritanical kind of thinking and ideology into something which does not, does not admit this. Mm, mm, mm. And as a result, again, the Muslims become the, the, the punching bag for mm. the political realm. And that's actually today. I mean, what we have witnessed is how these unjust political aspirations and hunger for power have resulted in the political man manipulation of religion mm. and belief. It's politics that does this, and it's an extremist view. Now, I've said before on one of my other videos, very briefly, I think I mentioned before about extremism. Mm. Right. How should we understand this extremism? And we understand it as, as one of my videos mentioned before, that we understand extremism to be like a double-sided double coin. On the one hand, you have extremism, extremism, extremism of excess, and mm. on the other hand, you have extremism of defect. In both cases, yes. you are ignorant of the limits of truth. Yes. Can, can you define then the, uh, I mean, I, I recall watching your expedition of this. Can you define what these two extremes are and what's the, the via media or the middle path, as the Quran calls it? Well, this uh, extremism of excess is simply mm. like what, it's, what it uh, says, is that you go beyond the limit of truth. Mm -hmm. You go way beyond the limit of truth. That's an extremism of excess. And therefore... You are, you are committing an injustice. And then the extremism of, of defect is the other way, that you, you, you fall short of the limits of truth, of mm. whatever it is that you're trying to assess. Mm. And therefore, you have to have a certain degree of wisdom and knowledge of justice and knowledge of yourself as well, because yourself, you also have to put yourself in its right and proper place. Mm -hmm.
Okay, I mean, I, this is fascinating. Um, I noticed on your YouTube channel, which, by the way, I, I will uh, link to in the description below. It's your official YouTube channel. That someone had asked you um, a very interesting question, and if I may repeat it to you, and you did actually address it in one of your videos. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, I think. Uh, the questioner asked you, "How do we situate the position of Islam in politics today?" There is so much misuse and abuse of Islam in politics today, he says. The link is subtle, but it is clear in these past decades that the abuse of Islam has stunted our development. Is there anything that could help us better understand how to resuscitate the true and rightful place of Islam in politics today? And, end quote. And uh, I think you thought that was a particularly interesting question. And could you just briefly uh, address your response to that? Well, first of all, I think the person who asked that question perhaps did not realize that Islam, the one that the, what he's asking, how do you position Islam in politics? Mm. I mean, it, it, you are asking, how do you position a religion in politics? But this is not what we understand it to be. There has to be some kind of um, understanding of what is meant by how do you position Islam in politics? Because we are not going to position a religion in politics. Mm. Politics is not uh, is not the ha I mean is not. Uh, I mean, Islam is not subservient to politics, no. although it is, although it does appear like it is today. What what, what we need to understand, therefore, is that these politi political aspirations, as I mentioned earlier, politicians have abused the religion of Islam mm. for their own for their own uh, manipulation and grasp of power. Mm. They are all power hungry. They want to remain in power. Yeah. They want to remain having control. And these are the ones who are false leaders, actually. Because mm. in reality, when you think about it, if you are going to position anything in politics, it should be the ethical values of Islam. Right. And the first thing should be that you should be someone who tells the truth. Mm. In one of, my, uh, one of my videos as well, I was talking about one of the companions asking the Prophet, um, what is a good man? Mm. And the Prophet said, a good man is one who tells the truth when he speaks, who keeps his promise when he makes one, and who holds fast to a trust when he's given that trust. And mm -hmm. therefore, you can, you, can, you can summarize, therefore, that a bad man is one who, when he speaks, he tells a lie. When, he's given, when he makes a promise, he breaks it. And when he's given a trust, he shirks that trust, all of which happen in politics today. Mm -hmm. So I mean, just just think about this. If you want to position anything into politics, you should position this. And what is that? This is ethics. You should take what Islam says about ethics, and and you should get those people who exemplify and who personify that ethics, and not anybody else. Otherwise, you are going to get what you have today, and that is the false leadership, and it's going to continue. Because these people now, the, the false politicians and false leadership, they have hijacked not only the religion, but they've also hijacked the faithful community. Mm. Because now the, the faithful community is by and large ignorant. This is again what uh, Juwaini says mm. when he was classifying uh, the people into four categories. He said the first category is one who knows and knows he knows. This is an alim. Follow yeah. him. And then Juwaini said the second one is... He who knows not, uh, he who knows, but knows not, he knows. So warn him, because he's one. He's like one who's asleep, doesn't realize. Uh, this person is also not uh, not of any use to you. Then there's the third kind. He said, he who knows not, but knows he knows not. These are the jahil. In other words, the simple ignorant. Therefore, you can teach them. Mm. But the last kind, he said, the mm. ones who know not and know not, they know not. These are worse than donkeys. Yes, he said, yeah. stay far away from them. Now, the, a, lot, the, a lot of those I've noticed uh, around on social media and everywhere else. Uh, that that last category is quite common, unfortunately today. <laughs> well, mm. I mean, the general population, the general community, is like the third category: the ones who know not, but they know they know not, and therefore you should teach them. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a few minutes. People are, are, you know, of course. Are, being taught and they're not arrogantly claiming knowledge that they clearly, clearly no, don't no, have. No, no, no. It's just simple ignorance and therefore yeah. it's up to you. It's up to you, the one who has alim, who is who's a, who, the one who has ilm, the, mm. the alim. It's up to him to teach. 
but yes. you can't you can't be someone who does not understand or who claims to understand and yet you don't and then you pretend as if you are responsible for that kind of knowledge when you are not mm. and then and then go and portray yourself as if you are because mm. then you are corrupting knowledge this is what happens that you are not prepared to accept that responsibility of truth and yet you take it because you think you are because you don't know yourself you remember there is that there's that hadith qudsi isn't it the one that says uh, he who knows himself knows his lord mm. This is the thing you have to know yourself. In other words, you have to put yourself in the right place, and that requires knowledge. It requires you to have knowledge of the that they are rightful places of your of things, and you know that where to put these places in their right places. Could it not be said? I mean, uh, your point is well taken. Uh, actually, I don't think one can anyone could really disagree with that. But uh, there is a possible um, additional uh, element to. That, that maybe you're not acknowledging some some people might say is, is that you know you're you're criticizing the the ulama for not perhaps teaching or not getting their message across and about, about moral responsibility moral renew justice and so on. but that there are developments in the world today which outstrip anyone's or most people's capacity just to know what the answer is just to teach about it just to teach is i'm thinking technological developments uh developments in ai developments in um, all sorts of medical issues, you know, in vitro fertilization, etc. These are quite technical uh, developments, which there is no classical, there's no obvious classical application of any knowledge that we have. Now, there may yeah. be an analogical application, so we can see an analogy with this past issue we know about, with this new situation we find ourselves in, yes. But, but there is an element of, is, is there not an element of the ulama not being caught off, off off guard because we don't know what the changes are, but nevertheless having to consider and reflect and assess over time and and and, and just going in and teaching the answer as if there is an answer when there is actually new things uh, coming along on, on the world scene because of technology and and so on. You see what I mean? So it, it may be that it's not just a question of applying what the tradition but um in, engaging that tradition with the new developments with some new developments we're seeing in the world around us which are you know because of the hegemony of the west are, are unavoidably impacting our lives sooner or later okay well i'm gonna have to ask you to give an example of what you mean by this like for well, instance I, I, wait, yeah, hold, well, hold on hold, but, but i just want to address this thing first mm. you are saying that these ulama but who do you mean by this because once again we come back to the problem of the corruption of knowledge because now the Muslims have have uh, corrupted the meanings of these things. Who do they mean by ulama? True. Because now when you say ulama, it also refers to the ones who, who are the legalistic people. They mm. are the ones who are called ulama. Mm, mm, mm. They are the ones who are asked to give judgments based on legalistic points of view. Is this haram? Is this makruh? Is this halal? What? And mm. that seems to be what the Muslims love to hear. They always ask this question, is it okay if I do this? What does the hukum say about that? Mm. Is it okay if I do that? What does the hukum say about this? No mention at all about ethics. So now, mm. Paul, give me an example of what you mean by this new mm. developments, technological developments. And, well, um, and uh, what, for instance, is going, to, is going to affect the Muslims to such an extent that they don't know how to answer? No, I'm not saying they don't know. How, I, I'm saying that because of new, I was thinking in, in medical ethics or, or in technology, uh, artificial intelligence, in medical, the in vitro fertilization uh, and forms of of uh, medical intervention, which um, uh, create ethical. This is not a, a Muslim problem, by the way, only. It's a problem for yeah. everyone. Uh, so this is not, I'm not castigating Muslim at all here or the ulama. I'm saying yes. that we as a species have to confront the implications of these developing technologies in terms of what it means to be human, even with transhumanism, for example, and, and I mentioned AI. Um, it's not obvious, it's not perhaps immediately apparent to many people at all how we um, understand these realities and how we interpret them and what is ethical as you say let alone haram and halal about it i don't have answers to your point but it, it's just that the, the groundwork is, is shifting subtly in certain areas um and you know we, we as a species have to reflect on these developments and what how we embrace them do we put limits on them do we just allow untrammeled uh, development of technology uh, mentioned transhumanism it's a very challenging time for the ulama and this is not just a, re a reactionary point it, it's it, it, it's how to cope with these developments. 
Yeah, no, there, ha there has to be some limits put on them because th there has to be a limit of truth. And I mean, if we're talking about AI, are we saying, therefore, that we are going to completely discount the nature of man? Right. I mean, that, that's not possible. I mean, when we are talking about a, a Muslim and Islam, how do you discount the nature of man? Mm -hmm. And is there such a thing as the nature of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. in the same kind of uh, analogy? I mean, vis-a-vis -vis the nature of man, there isn't. Mm. Man is the one who has created this artificial intelligence. Mm. He is the one that is is, uh, is it is incumbent upon him to put limits on these things. Yes, it is not something which can which can just be left as a as a value free type of thing. I mean, Islam does not admit that. Mm. No, indeed, and, and that is a curse, I think, of much Western science. It is it just sees itself as untrammeled, unconstrained. You know, if it can be invented, we'll invent it. If we can do it, we'll do it without any real moral sense yeah, of who we are, who we are as a human being. As you say, the, the, there are clear understandings of what we are as a human being from the, uh, the uh, in Islam. Well, that's the difference between the worldview of the West, as we mentioned earlier, in a state, always in a state of becoming, yes. and the, the worldview of Islam that has already become established. I mean, this is one good example, because we are not saying that knowledge is value free. On mm. the contrary, we are saying that knowledge is value-laden. Mm -hmm. We are not going to admit the other, the other possibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that, 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 that's fair enough. So um, in terms of your, your uh, Dr. Saima, your ongoing work uh, today, what, what kind of projects are you involved in to, in terms of intellectual activity or production of um, books? Well, interestingly enough, you mentioned about now the world has been changing and things like this, and I, I see this. I mean, I mm. see how this world, especially now with this fourth industrial revolution push, that everyone is trying to jump on the bandwagon for fear of being left behind, according yes. to what these experts are telling us. Exactly. But I don't think that we have actually sat down and analyzed exactly what is being meant by this fourth industrial revolution and what it means for the Muslim world. Yeah. And in terms of these kind of things that you asked just now, like in terms of advancement in medicine, advancement in technology and things like that, there are no there are no uh, uh, curriculums to speak of in the Muslim world today that mm. actually deal with the ethics connected to these kind of projects. And yeah. that's what I'm trying to establish now. I'm trying to establish some kind of an ethical guidelines for these kind of projects. And where do we draw the line? Where is the limit of truth? Mm -hmm. And this has all been, been, uh, been uh, collated. This is actually an idea that I've been thinking of for the past 10 years or more, actually. And it's all as a result also of what my father has been teaching and what my father has been intimating to me. Mm. And this is a result of that, because I think to myself now that we have become, uh, I mean, especially in Malaysia, I'm talking about our country, that right. we've become so, um, so caught up in the race to join this industrial revolution without even realizing that we are not even one of the top 25 countries in the world that's involved in this. So where actually do we position ourselves? Mm -hmm. And this is something that we haven't even thought of. There are many other things. I mean, people now are talking about the environment as if it's a sudden vogue subject, mm. you know, cons what conservation, the environment. And then they write books about conservation, the environment, according to what Islamic law says. And I think it's, again, ridiculous mm -hmm. because they are not using... I mean, they are using the kind of logic I would call, uh, I mean, I think that's a stretch if I were to say that, but if I were to say that it's uh, epistemological logic mm -hmm. rather than Quranic logic. Right. I mean, they, lo they look at the Quran and they quote these verses from the Quran out of context sometimes. In other words, they quote them from abstract and mm. apply them to what they're thinking of. And it doesn't really apply sometimes. Or sometimes they are completely wrong. And then they write these books about that and say, this is what Islamic law says about it. And I think that's a big mistake because, as I said before, that the Quran is primarily, I mean, the large majority of the Quran talks about ethics, mm. talks about, about iman, talks about your relationship with your neighbor, talks about tolerance, these kind of things. That's the majority of the Quran. So, I mean, it's a limit. Yeah, mm. sorry. No, I mean, just on, on that point, but another slightly controversial, very controversial uh, subject, um, the, the West now has uh, got a new religion, uh, some people would say. Uh, some people call it wokeism, um, an abbreviation. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking about ethics and the Quran and the Sunnah. Um, um, and, but the, 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 this religion, uh, as some people call it, is, is um, not only being propagated by 
you know, media corporations, but uh, it becomes a diplomatic and political um, compulsion. Uh, the America, you know, uh, uh, enforces yeah. this is often tied to foreign aid, uh, foreign policy, and so on. So it's yeah. serious stuff. Uh, and because of the dominance of the West at the moment, um, this is this has been pumped around the world, and Muslims are certainly expected, without any dissent, to jump on board this agenda. We saw that in Qatar, the World Cup, of course. The way yes. the West, the way the way the West treated uh, a very small Muslim country that was, you know, not perfect, but it was uh, doing its best to hold on to Islamic values in certain areas. Maybe not in all areas, but in certain areas, certainly this area, anyway. I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, th th this this is is not is it not just a question of um, teaching ethics and so on? It, it, it's dealing with this asymmetry of power that exists in the world between a West that as always, of course, thinks it's right, and therefore the rest of the world must uh, agree with it or else, and the yes. Muslim world that would rather not go along with it because it is clearly contrary to faith, well, all faiths, I would have thought, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and others, yeah. in terms of this understanding what it means to be human, what it is to be male and female, a binary uh, duality rather than LGBT alphabet duality, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so... Uh, the, the well, see, that, that, sorry. Yeah, sorry. See, well, that again goes back to the same question of corruption of knowledge. Mm. I mean, we don't know where the limits are, where the limits of truth are, and therefore mm. we just accept everything. That's ridiculous. I mean, mm. this is a this is a point I think that you have made very correctly and wisely because where is the courage in the Muslim world? Why are the Muslim governments themselves not asking the West to define what they mean? They never have said this. Mm -hmm. I've been to several of these. Uh, conferences representing Malaysia and, oh, yes. uh, you know, on, on things like human rights and, and uh, dignity and things, tolerance. This was mm. in the past. And at every one of those conferences, I asked them to define what they mean when they say tolerance, what they mean when they say human rights, what they mean when they say justice, because what they define might not be what I agree with. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, for instance, tolerance is a good example. One of the one of the Catholic participants, he said he he opened his speech by saying nobody wants to be tolerated. <laughs> so when when I came to speak, I said this exactly is what I'm trying to allude to: is that for the Muslims, when we talk about tolerance, we don't talk about a grin and bear it kind of uh, yeah, attitude. Yeah, uh, grudging. Uh, grudging, even though we don't like the person, we are forced to we're sit with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just tolerate. We don't, we don't. That's not how the Muslims understand tolerance. That no. we understand tolerance in the sense of a forgiveness, uh, inclusivity, a love, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. It's all a positive, not a negative. So for the Muslim, that's again from the language what we use when we say samaha. We talk about the conceptual philosophy of tolerance not tolerate like what the what the the, the anglo-saxon um, articulation is mm -hmm. we don't agree with that the same with justice i mean we include fairness in our in our understanding of justice mm -hmm. but when we say fairness we don't mean that that everyone should get the same thing no. that's not what we mean by fairness as far as we are concerned it's you get what you deserve that is fair Yes, well, that, that's yes, that's that's right. I think you know the, the way that the West uh, typically treats the men and women, and so fairness there would mean treating them exactly the same with complete equality. That's the term. Yeah, you. Now, you see, that's that's another uh, thing that we don't agree not, with. I mean, you would say, of course, but you would say that's not justice because it's not recognizing uh, the appropriate um, station or, or, or position or role of these different these two groups so to treat everything yes. as the same is not just in fact it's an injustice because it denies the differences between male and female perhaps yeah, yeah. not only that i mean in fact somebody was asking me this before about that and about equality mm. and i was saying that we should not talk about a right we should first start talking about a responsibility right, the yeah. amana part comes before the haq Yes. Now, if, if you have already accepted that responsibility and if you are responsible for that thing, you mm. then, only then do you have a right to it. Then you can start talking. Mm. But if you don't, then you, you should not be starting to talk about having the same right because mm. you have not accepted the responsibility. Mm. And this is the thing that we, we, 
when we sit down, we can sit down and speak and talk, and we can uh, we can disagree. We don't have to agree, but we also have to ask for clarification. And we ourselves should give proper definitions. And this mm. is something I think that the Muslim world, political world, continually fails to do. They are more apologetic than anything else. I mean, it's just why, like what we were alluded to earlier. Why, why are they so deferential, so uh, apologetic? But why is this disposition towards the other, I, the West, so, so such a part of the, the, their relationship? Well, what's the reason for that? Well, I think, it, again, they, there are many examples in the Quran, one of which I think I, I'm, next time I, I have a, um, I make a video, I'll probably talk about this. You know, there, there is a story in the Quran about a man named Qarun. In the Christian religion, he is uh, called uh, Korah. I can't remember which, uh, which, which um, what do you call it, book of the Bible that refers to him, Korah. This, this fellow Qarun, he existed during the time of the Prophet Musa. And he was an extremely wealthy person. Of course, you know, in the in the Old Testament, his his wealth is exaggerated greatly. Mm. The Quran, of course, makes a more reasonable estimation of his wealth. But nonetheless, he's an extremely wealthy person. They say mm. that it took hundreds of camels to carry the keys to his treasure, which he kept in Egypt. Mm. And this Qarun, he had followers. He had maybe two or three hundred followers. And these people were so arrogant because they thought that wealth bought them power and knowledge. And so they were very envious of the Prophet Musa because he was a prophet. People respected him. He had the knowledge. He had the truth. But he didn't have the money. He had the power because he had lots of followers. Mm -hmm. But this Qarun, he was upset. He said, why am I not the one who is also the same as, a, as, the, as Musa? After all, I'm extremely wealthy. I have great followers. I have power as well. So I should be the same, the same status. And it's because of his arrogance that Allah destroyed him. Mm. Now, today... We have many, many Qaruns today. Most of them are in, are in uh, positions of power and wealth. Mm -hmm. These are the politicians. These are the ones who rule countries. And they look at those with more wealth and more power with such admiration, just like people looked at Qarun and said, we wish we were like them. Oh, mm -hmm. these people are our idols. Bill Gates, what a fantastic person. He's got so much money. He must be a great man. You know, this is the kind of thing. We don't realize that we are looking at the modern-day Qarun. Mm. We are not looking at what they have to offer in terms of their wealth of knowledge. We are looking at what they have to offer in terms of their power, their wealth, their influence. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so for now, like I said, false leadership looks towards the, these people in the West who are powerful, who are rich, and they look at them and want to be like them. No. Want to get the kind of following that they have, so it's want envy. To be admired like them. Yeah, we're looking at envy, then, aren't we? There's a, a, yes. a healthy desire to emulate and be like them, but these be are like not them. role models, as you say, from the, the example in the yeah, Quran. That's, that's the thing, and, and we don't understand that there mm. is already the tanfil in the Quran with this uh, Qarun. Mm -hmm. This Gosh. is the thing. I mean, it's not. It's not like that's what I'm saying. People read the Quran, but they don't actually see. What is being said there in the Quran sometimes? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I myself, when I read, I sometimes miss certain things. But if mm -hmm. you actually examine and look at it properly, this is why whenever whenever people refer to ask me about my father, how does he how does he come up with these ideas and how does he write? I mean, first of all, it's a bit of an insolent question to be asking, how does my father come up with these ideas? Because Allah has given him this gift, he has this wisdom, he has this knowledge, he has this genius. But he is not the kind of person who uses epistemological logic or ontological logic. He uses Quranic logic. He uses right. the Quran as his source because mm. he understands the Quran. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. And so for us, for mm. us now, when we when, when the Muslim world is in this kind of a state, in other words, the people who are who are holding the mantle of power and authority, and the, in that in that ambit of authority they also claim to have the ambit of knowledgeable authority as well mm. this is dangerous because what they've done is they have misused the knowledge they have misinterpreted truth and they have turned it into poisonous falsehood that's what they've done mm -hmm. and therefore something which is a simple matter can mushroom into a big problem which is exactly what we have today
We don't allow the people who actually have real, true knowledge to speak. Instead, we invite somebody else simply because that person has, let's say, 100,000 followers, 200,000 followers on YouTube, a million followers on YouTube, and you admire them, and, oh, this fellow is a hero, mm -hmm. simply because of that. Because mm. the man is talking something which, which perhaps is, is uh, entertaining. Mm. And perhaps he has more of a charismatic nature. And therefore you feel, ooh, you have to follow this man. You are not thinking about what comes out of his mouth. Mm. You are not thinking about the kind of things that he is trying to impart. The kind of knowledge, the kind of truths. And then people will say, yeah, but then how do we know that what you say is true? I mean, yeah. that's your truth. Again, yeah. again, this is again uh, the influence of the secular philosophical program. Now we have come, we have come to a point that we are talking about your truth, as if, mm. as if truth has now become subjective. Yes, I'm fascinated how uh, philosophers and thinkers in the West, particularly places like France, um, um, people like Foucault and others, kind of postmodernist thinkers. You know, their 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 thought in this regard was confined to the ivory tower. You know, in a generation ago, but how it's percolated down, not just in France, but then later on in the United States, in in California. It took a while to get to America, but yeah. once it did, so in Foucault's case, for example, how he is now lionized, how he is taught and uh, treasured, and so on. This is a guy who was around in the nineteen eighties in in France. So, uh, but then, of course, these ideas then seep through into. Um, the, the media and journalists and, and other uh, people, influencers. And so it becomes part of the, the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist. So it's fascinating how these ideas yeah. uh, move down the hierarchy, if you like, uh, of, uh, in the West. And so, you know, what's going what's gonna to be the next worldview? But the idea of all truth is relative. These ideas are filtered through the minds yes. of those who are not prepared to understand these things Mm. properly what is being said by the philosophers in the past for instance if mm. it filters through a mind which is which is uh, not prepared and not uh, not uh, yeah not prepared does not have the prerequisite to understand the kind of things that these people are talking about mm. then obviously how they understand it and then later on presented is a corruption of those ideas and that's what we refer to as corruption of knowledge mm. 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 and that's what's happening yeah, I think that's why education is is so important. Understanding the origins of it these is. ideas, and also to uh, it's something I'm very keen on communicating, not to you but other people perhaps, is that these ideas, uh, which are now part of the air we breathe, are very recent. They weren't around a century ago, or at least not to the the bulk of society. And they are they are relative to a particular geographical area of the globe. You know, yes. Europe, uh, Europe really ultimately, um, France, Germany, Britain. Uh, these ideas have their roots in John Locke uh, and and other philosophers and thinkers, and they have yeah. seeped in an influence. And to understand the the origins, the genealogy of morals, to borrow Nietzsche's uh, expression, is really helpful because it helps to demystify and relativize this th these ideologies they're not just the truth or the the the, the way the world is they're recent culturally relative products of a certain trajectory of thought that we can yes. trace back over yes. centuries and that yes. exercise is really useful i think all of these things are, have begun and you uh, and your father has done that by the way uh, exhaustively yes, yes. And, and uh and particularly even more so in the prolegomena uh, to the metaphysics of islam where he yes discusses Kant, for example, and, and many other uh, philosophers to great uh, benefit, I think, to the reader. Yes. I mean, that, that uh, prolegomena as well has important chapters in them. I mean, of course, the first one being the religion of Islam, the concept and foundation of, I mean, the concept of religion and the foundation of ethics and morality. Yes. And then, of course, there's also the nature of man, which is very important as well, because when it comes to education, that's another thing we have to understand, the nature of man itself. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I, I just love this. Uh, the some of the, uh, the the titles here: the nature on the nature of quiddity on the nature of yes. quiddity. Page two two seven. I mean, the, the the term. Look it up. I don't mean you, but uh, look it up is a fascinating word to use. And then on the general and particular quiddity, and on this uh, the schema of ontological descent of absolute being. I mean, yes. to, people are interested in philosophy. This is very juicy stuff. Yes. But um, he's clearly bilingual. I mean, he's completely fluent in. Uh, Western metaphysics and philosophy, and obviously in Islam as well, and and that's yes. kind of combination intellectually and and this exploration of these contrasting worldviews, 
and they are contrasting very much so, but he does in a particularly helpful way to elucidate what's going on. So yes. uh, in, in that way, I, I do recommend it for that as well. Well, he, he has always said, I mean, I remember growing up listening to this. He's Gosh. always said that in order for you to understand the West, you have to understand their philosophy. You have oh, to yeah. understand, you have to understand their language. You have to understand their stories. All yes. of these things have a very heavy bearing on, on Western uh, uh, intellectualism. Precisely and right. And, there, and therefore, ultimately, and people don't always perceive it, the media uh, and, and the way our culture understands itself, it's not just a, a, an autonomous movement. It actually is fed in from the universities and the intellectuals and, and the, the, yeah. the more educated journalists who feed on these ideas. It, it, yes, it's a, yes. an organic process. Well, I mean, all these things, I mean, all these philosophers, I mean, their philosophies, we can say it, it stems from a disenfranchisement with the church, with religion. Yes, very true. Uh, it, it began with this. Now, if you, if you look at how the 11th century was in the Muslim world and how the 11th century was in Brittany, for instance, mm. it, was, it was like what we call the Dark Ages. Mm. Yeah. But in the Muslim world, it was vibrant. There was philosophy, there was Ibn Rushd, there was Al-Ghazali, there was Ibn Sina. All these great philosophers were being, were being taught, were being learned. Were being, there was a culture and civilization in, Al, in Al-Andalus, Andalusia, which was just across the border. I mean, of course, we didn't have borders like we have today. But on the one mm. hand, you have vibrancy in terms of intellectualism. On the other hand, you have a dearth of knowledge, all controlled by the church. I mean, there's one famous story, of course, about... Uh, about uh, Saint Bernard of Assisi, who was asked to condemn uh, Assisi. Is I mean, uh, uh, what's Peter Abelard? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Peter Abelard was was trying to was trying to uh, um, propagate the idea that in order to understand religion, you also have to use reason, and mm -hmm. the church wouldn't have any of that. They said, no, 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 no. You cannot use reason. It has to all be by faith, pure blind faith. And mm -hmm. so they asked Bernard Assisi, Saint Bernard of Assisi, rather, to condemn him. To, to 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 condemn his writings and this this uh, Peter Abelard, I mean he he got this kind of knowledge and learning from the Muslim world. He learned all this from Andalusia. So I mean, what was the problem? And now all of a sudden we are talking about science as if that is the the tell-all answers to everything. The 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 mm -hmm. what do you call it? The uh, yeah yeah absolutely as if, as if that is the answer to everything, and it's not. Mm, I mean, mm. like I said, I mean, we have con conflated science with ilm. But there, are, I mean, it's too late in our discussion now to go into this subject. But I, I, there are serious intellectual challenges presented by Western science, for example, in the uh, Darwin's theory of e evolution by natural selection. And I, I don't want to go off on that tangent particularly, but but the, the, and there are good responses. I mean, Dr. Shoe, for example, is a biochemist professor. Uh, who's appeared on Blogging Theology, has written an excellent book on Islam and evolution, um, which uh, I recommend. So there are in, there are answers, but it, it, it's something that is causing you know intellectual and even moral confusion in, in the Muslim world about how to assimilate or just reject this idea. Um, well, or, I, or is it a problem? Is it just hominid evolution that's unacceptable, but animal evolution is acceptable? So there is this kind of thinking about it, which is which is moving forward now, but... You know, it, it is a challenge sometimes. It's interesting you bring that up because I was just about to mention that my father wrote another book about four or five years ago. It was called On Justice and the Nature of Man. And in that book, he first had to define what he means by man. And when yes. he means man, he's talking about insan. He does not mean homo sapien because as far as we are concerned, we don't accept that. Mm -hmm. We don't accept that we are the Darwinist uh natural selection evolution from a different species from a yep. homo before us we are not yep. homo sapiens mm -hmm. that is that is their kind of classification yep. they meaning the western worldview of science mm -hmm. for us we are in sun we are a special creation mm. and this special creation like i said it's already been proven in the quran allah already talks about this in the quran and in that book that my father wrote on justice in the nature of man he actually proves it mm. that the quran when Allah summons the angels and he says to them, I'm going to create a Khalifa and he creates the prophet Adam. And this is man in son. He is not, he is not uh, a, a species from a different, uh, he is not a different species from the same genus. 
Mm. He does. I mean, we do not follow into that Linnaeus classification. Mm. If we yeah. were to construct something similar to the Linnaeus or the Linnaean kind of classification, where he has uh, animal, plant, and mineral, then uh, as kingdoms, then we would say that man, in other words, insan, is a kingdom on its own. Mm. We would yeah. add another one if we were going if we were going to follow the Linnaean kind of classification. We would say that man is a kingdom. Animal is a kingdom, plant is a kingdom, mineral is a kingdom. Mm. And then we would go through all those those uh, um, level classifications that Linnaeus has, has uh, projected. Mm. We, we, we are different species. I mean, we have we have the Chinese, we have the Indians, we have the we have the Anglo-Saxon West, we have the, the Nordic, we have the African, we have the Arab, we have the, the Hebraic, we have all these what we can call species. But we are not we are not in that Homo sapien category at all. Mm. We do not we do not come from an evolved ape. We don't believe this. Furthermore, mm. I mean Darwin's is still a theory. Mm. It is not a factual evidence. It's still theory. Therefore, why can't the Muslim world come up with another curriculum now? If you want to say it's also a theory that we are we are talking about this Quranic proof. If you want to say it's a theory, okay, we have a we have an opposing theory to Darwin, and mm. this is it. Now, mm. if we say we want to come up with this kind of curriculum, then where would we put the curriculum? In what in what subject? Because in in today's education curriculum, we are talking about evolution in a science a curriculum. In, in other words, in a pure science curriculum. Yes, yes, yes. and that is a mistake. It's yes. the wrong classification because. This Darwin's theory of evolution, because it's a theory of evolution, it should be under the philosophy of science, and mm. not under uh, a, a kind of science which is which is um, uh, under the un, un, under the phenomenological sciences, mm. the fixed mm. sciences, the empirical sciences. It should not be there. It's wrongly classified. It's under the philosophy of science, and therefore, similarly, if you were to talk about a Muslim theory of who man is, which is what my father discusses in this on nature of on justice and the nature of man. Then we can say that we are also going to classify it under philosophy of science, and mm. this should be offered to higher education, not to primary school children. Mm. This is not something that that their minds can grasp. Mm. You have to have some kind of a prerequisite training first in order to grasp these higher order thinking, and that only can happen in universities and institutions of higher learning. Mm. This is what I've been trying to be working on when it comes to developing curriculums for our institutions of higher learning. Uh, develop, developing some kind of an answer to questions the Muslims might have when it comes to, as you mentioned just now, the technological world, the technological uh, realm, the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, we have many, many good and fine scholars in the Muslim world, but they have been silenced by the the by the voices of the media of mediocrity, and mm -hmm. these are in the masses. Unfortunately, we have mm -hmm. a, a lots of fine scholars who have contributed greatly in the field of economics for Islamic economics and finance for instance but no one wants to listen to them because mm. it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, um, seem to pair very nicely with the conventional system or what the prop the the, the so-called financial experts who are actually graduates of the school of jurisprudence talk about today unfortunately they don't mm. want to listen to us they don't want to listen to those people who have that Quranic reasoning, the Quranic logic. They would rather listen to someone else with a very, like I said, this this jurisprudence is actually a very easy subject. And therefore, we, we place such heavy emphasis and importance on an easy subject. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder that we can feel the stupidity. I mean, I can actually feel that the weight of that stupidity. <laughs> Amazing, amazing way of putting it. I, I mean, uh, I, I guess what, what one of the things that I find slightly comforting to remember is that the world is, uh, has always changed. We're always in a process of rapid change. I don't just mean modernity. I, I mean, if you look over the centuries, if you look at the borders on maps, you look at the countries that then exist and that don't exist now, even the last two, two generations. The fluidity of history uh, is remarkable when one looks at it in that longer term depth, depth perspective. And so although what you're saying may be true, it's not we're not necessarily here forever, uh, that, that things do change. Uh, who knows what uh, Allah, of course, is in control. Who knows what the future will bring? And inshallah, um, we will be uh, we will move towards uh, a greater true knowledge rather than partial 
distorted knowledge uh, in the future. Uh, if, as you say, there are so many scholars and ulama who are, who have answers, who have expertise, who can, uh, the knowledge is there, it just needs to be applied, basically, accepted and applied uh, in people's lives, rather than just theoretical book knowledge that's ignored, yeah. perhaps, as you say. Would that be a, would you share that optimism or, or that? Yes, I, of course. I mean, of course. I mean, uh, as far as we are concerned, being a Muslim means that we are not supposed to be pessimistic. We are always optimistic. I mean, mm, that, mm. That, that surah in the Quran, you know, whenever there's always going to be the bright side coming, there's always mm. going to be a better future coming. This is what Allah guarantees, and we are sure of this. So obviously, mm. we are optimistic. And it may not happen in our lifetime, but still. Mm we have to at least make the effort because that is part of being a Muslim is that, that we must make the effort. If we know something to be true, we can't keep silent. There is that hadith, isn't it? That uh, if you find something to be in error, you have to strive as much as you can, either with your words, right. with your deeds, or with your heart, although that is the weakest. That is one of the hadith narrated. That's right. No, and therefore, that... we, are, we are trying to do all these things. We are trying to do it with our with our with our works, with our with our with our tongues or with our voices, and of course with our hearts as well. And inshallah, we will come to a place where we can say, yes, we have actually achieved some small milestone mm. in trying to bring some kind of reasonable truth to what is happening. And it's interesting that you mentioned <coughs> excuse me, about history and how things are, are always changing. That is true. Mm. But, mm. but the one thing that does not change is the worldview of Islam. The world mm. of Islam does not change. We have to adapt to whatever it is mm. and fit it according to the, what the world of Islam is trying to teach or mm. trying to impart upon us. Mm. Not that we should change the worldview because times are changing. That's not the way it is. Mm. And we, we have to understand history, not just the, the, uh, the what do you call it, the, the, the batin aspect, I mean, the vahir aspect of history. In other words, the, the when and the what. This is no. the, 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 the vahir aspect. Yeah, the like external. What, yeah, what Ibn Khaldun, Ibn Khaldun likes to say this. Mm -hmm. We also have to understand the batin aspect, the the mm -hmm. why and the how, mm -hmm. the whys and the hows. And this is one thing that the Muslims today they don't seem to want to learn. And when they do want to learn, they're not going to check properly to find out because how history is written today may be actually factually incorrect, depending on who writes it. Depending on who writes it, yes, this is a very good point. Who the, on who writes the history, and therefore you have to be careful. That's very true. You have to have also some education and knowledge yourself. Alhamdulillah. Well, uh, perhaps we'll, we'll draw to a uh, conclusion there, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Syed Ali Atas. Thank you very much indeed for your time, your expertise. I know you're a very uh, busy man. I, I would just reiterate and repeat because I think it's worth repeating. Uh, yes. If folks want to learn more about this subject, particularly secularism and the, the deeper understandings and the issues, the philosophy, uh, the ideologies, the ideas and the different ideas, the different paradigms that Islam has from the secular West. Uh, this is an excellent uh, book to get to, to read. Um, I'm just reading it through myself and I'm really appreciating its insights. And also this is, I think, much more demanding, intellectually advanced book, to be honest. Um, I would say easily postgraduate level. Uh, the Prolegomena or the Metaphysics of Islam. Um, it's very advanced, but it's also extremely valuable, I think. Um, yes, it is. It is. It's, in, it's invaluable, actually. There's lots of meat in there to chew on, I, I think. And, yes. uh, and lastly, but not least, of course, is Dr. Sai's official YouTube channel, which I will put, as I said before, in the description below. Do see, uh, you, you do periodically post uh, talks, um, uh, lectures um, uh, on various subjects related to what we just discussed uh, today yes, uh, and I do uh, recommend that people uh, have a look at that too so thank you thank very, you very much Paul it's been a, a great pleasure to be on your on your program today and I thank you for your for your invitation and for your 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 kind conviviality I'm really appreciative of you everything that you have done for this channel and for myself yeah. as well included Alhamdulillah. Well, uh, that's very uh, w w uh, words of praise from you. I uh, belong to, to Allah in the first instance, and I, I'm grateful to Him uh, and uh, appreciative of your kind words as well. So, inshallah, we'll see you again. Thank you very much. Until. Assalamu alaikum.
Walaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.